we continue our story from Matthew chapter 14, where Peter is walking on water. My take on this passage is that Peter did not sink while he was approaching Jesus, while he could see Jesus every time he looked up. Since the passage indicates that he came to Jesus, I believe he arrived. And once he arrived, after greeting Jesus, I believe Peter turned around so that Jesus was behind him, still at arm's length, but behind him. Now, when Peter looked for the boat, he expected it to be in the same location it was when he started walking. But in fact, it was being driven backwards by the wind because no one was rowing. They were all mouth agape, staring at him. And the boat, which was being tossed around by the waves, had already been driven by the wind a significant distance from him, much further back than he was expecting. He was probably hoping to see the smiling faces of his friends in the boat right where he had left them. But instead, the boat was at a distance, and he couldn't see the faces of his friends in the dark. They were too far away. But he could see the effects of the wind pushing the boat backwards, and he could see the darkness beneath him and all around him. So, let's join Jesus and Peter as Peter begins to sink. Back to Jesus and Peter. Peter begins to sink. It says Jesus immediately reaches out his hand. He's right next to Peter, arm's length from Peter. How close is Jesus to you? It's actually in you, even closer than he is to Peter. The problem is that most of us don't feel him in us, and unlike with Peter, who could have turned around, or if you believe he was facing him, that he was right there, he could see him. The problem with us is that we don't sense Jesus near us. Jesus lives in our, in our spirit. Our spirit is one with the spirit of Jesus, 1 Corinthians 6, 17. He who is one with Christ is one spirit with him. We share a spirit with Jesus. He is in us. We are seated with him in heavenly places. He is in us. He is in the Father. The Father's in us. The Holy Spirit's in us. It's very confusing. Who's in who? Actually, like the Trinity is confusing. If you're having trouble figuring out the Trinity, that would also mean you're going to have trouble figuring out exactly how it works that he is in you or that you're in him. It's a mystery, but it's true. It's a mystery, but it's true. So Jesus is in you. The Father's in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. If you have received them, it does require an invitation. So we want to make sure that, that those who 
that we don't assume that he's in us just because we come to church, that there, it requires an invitation. He wants to be invited. He reaches out, and as soon as he touches Peter, the power returns down here. He's not suspending him. The power now, Peter has the faith, or his doubt goes away, or his fear vanishes once he has a physical sensation, and the power returns under him. A lot of times when we read this story, and the reason I love to tell familiar stories from a little different angle, is it gets us to think, I wonder if there's anything else I missed. I never heard it that way. And it gives a fresh look, a fresh insight into the scriptures. You can go to God and say, is, is that the way it happened? What, or is it the way I saw it on the, on the picture? One of the other things that we forget is that then the two of them walked back to the boat. We see the way it is, has been in my mind historically is Peter tries to walk, sees the water, falls, Jesus picks him up. They're in the boat. They both walked back to the boat. So Peter walked on water again. You can fail, you can have fear, and you can walk on water again. I don't know if he was holding Jesus' hand on the way back to the boat. It doesn't say. You get to interpret that however you'd like to. Or now that you know Peter had more confidence. Jesus is obviously a little bit sad for Peter. First of all, Peter's wet. He's going to be getting into a boat, and it's 3 or 4 in the morning. It's probably a bit cold. He's also sad because Peter, he said, why, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Was it something because he started looking at the world? He turned himself away from Jesus, started looking at the world, and maybe grandstanding a bit, wondering who's the greatest, as, as we tend to do, comparing himself. Do you think the disciples in the boat are really happy for Peter? Probably not. Why were they comparing who was the greatest? Because they were really encouraging one another's success. Envy. We've talked a bit about envy before, and we will talk more about it in this class. It's a very important topic for us to understand. We are always looking. In fact, the word envy comes from the Latin invidia. In, to, in NVIDIA, vision, to look in, to look always what they're doing, comparing. We're sizing ourselves up. We don't want to be full of envy. It's also possible that the, the fact that the 11 other of his companions in the boat were not happy for him. It's possible that that had a negative effect. Maybe some things they were saying or so, some things they were thinking. Envy has a powerful effect when you do it and when other people do it to you. It is so evil, the Bible speaks about it pretty clearly. It says envy rots the bones. I believe when we're involved in envy, especially when we're speaking words against someone else, it attracts the kingdom of evil. We are, we are not alone here in the kingdom of good. There is a kingdom of evil waiting for someone to bind and loose so that they can pounce. Words of envy 
trying to destroy people with your words has a powerful negative effect. Which brings me now to this verse from Proverbs. I was looking up this verse one day and I found the Proverbs 18.21 because death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's one of the things we're talking about today. But the verse right before it struck me as really interesting. With the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach will be satisfied. This is Proverbs 18.20. With the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach will be satisfied. He is satisfied by the product of his lips. Most of us just use our words carelessly. We repeat what we heard on the news. We repeat what somebody said. Oh, did you hear? It's coming this way. Oh, did you hear? Be careful what you say. I've taken this verse very literally. And if I have some stomach issues, because the first place that fear shows up, one of the first places, is going to be in your stomach. Your GI system is incredibly sensitive to fear, to all that adrenaline, all that cortisol that your body secretes in response to worry, anxiety, nervousness, the things that we say, nice words for fear. Basically, as soon as I sense that I'm having some GI upset, I think about what, my, what words have been coming out of my mouth. Have I been irritated with somebody recently? Have I been speaking some words that were not healthy? Some words that may even attract negativity to them or to me. I think this is something to watch. Whether we have stomach issues or not, that something about the way we speak has to do with our satisfaction in life. Are we repeating negativity? Are we exchanging the power of our words for sympathy? Oh, I think I'm getting something. Oh, got a scratchy throat. Yeah. Oh, it's you know, it's coming. I used to say things like that to my wife. I've stopped myself now. What am, what am I doing? I'm prophesying. I'm speaking. To get a little sympathy, I'm exchanging the power of my words. Now, what, what does Psalm 91 say? No pestilence coming near my tent. I, I'm, I'm not allowing a virus to replicate in my body. I, I, I can tell you, I used to say, well, I'm, yeah, my nose is stu stuffing up. I can, it's coming. Yeah, I'll probably be down for about three days. My whole attitude coming from medicine has been, you're at the mercy of the virus. When you go down, it runs over you and hopefully lets you up three days, maybe a week. Some of us, two weeks, it comes, oh, that one hung on a long time. I have stopped giving them permission to set up in my system with my words. Oh, I feel like I'm getting... Last year, about this time, I had, I could feel it was coming on. And I said, I don't... Why am I... Because I started telling her, yeah, yeah, I, it's coming, you know, because you lay down to sleep and your nose starts closing up. I said, no, in Jesus' name, I don't give this virus permission to set up in my body. But this is... 
this is not, why, why am I at the mercy of this virus? Just because medical science says this is just the way it happens. Do we have anything to do with our immune system? There's a whole field called psychoneuroimmunology that says absolutely, you have a, quite a lot to do with your immune system. The words that you speak, what you believe, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Well, we're, we're reading scriptures here, and I used to think of these just a year ago as cliche. Huh. Well, it doesn't have anything to do with me. Isn't that interesting, those silly people back then? Why is death first? Probably because most of us are speaking death. I, I was. I was. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. What are you, what is your habit? I want to pause right now. Are you exchanging sympathy from other people or friendships, relationships? By the way, if relationships are stressed or strained, you tend to find something negative that you can both agree on that's bad. It bonds you together. It's a sickness in our culture. I, I, I was doing all of the things I'm saying, and I'm catching myself now. I would have a, one of the neighbors that I didn't get along with. Oh, yeah, things are bad, though. Things at the city, very bad. What are we doing? I'm trying to find something that I can bond with her. Stop it. Stop it. Not, not healthy for me, not healthy for her, not healthy for the relationship. I need to be able to figure out what's wrong with this relationship and be able to love her without trying to find, to speak negativity, which is not healthy for anybody. I want to give you a minute to think about your speech. Are you exchanging the power of your words to bind, to loose, as Jesus said, to, to heal, to speak life, not death? Are you exchanging that for sympathy? Or maybe in your case, you can think of, what is the gain to me? Why do I do that? Just to keep this relationship going. We, we meet, we get coffee, and then we always just complain. Why am I doing that? I want you to think about that. I'm going to give you a minute right now. One last thing I want to say about this scenario with Jesus and Peter. Had they been in a boat in a storm before? Yes! What was happening? Let's go back to Matthew chapter 8, just a few chapters before. He was sleeping in the boat. Okay. The first time they have this happen, he's sleeping in the boat. The second time, he's not with them at all. Hmm. Is he training them? Is he discipling them? Is he trying to get them to grow? They have been here before, but not exactly like this. And guess what? You have been here before, but not exactly like this. Similar. Little different storm. But remember what Jesus said to them. They went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. I'm in Matthew chapter 8, verse 25. 
I guess I can read that little passage. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? You little faith. What did Jesus want Peter to do in the boat in that first storm? Rebuke, maybe he, it sounds like he wanted them to do something. He sounds a little irritated that they woke him up. Pray. They, they could have prayed. They, they, that was something he had already taught them. Very good. He probably wanted them to start using their words. I wonder what their words were saying. Oh, look at this storm. We've never seen one like this. Oh, we're all going to die. In fact, that's exactly what they said. Save us, Lord. We are perishing. They are speaking death to their boat, to their lives. Not helpful. They've been here before. They've been here before. Another storm, three in the morning, different time. They're tired, having trouble remembering they've been here before. Jesus not with them this time. They're rowing against the wind. It's a different scenario, but it is very similar. And Jesus is expecting them and us to make those connections. You have been here before. I bet you've had financial problems before. I bet you've had some health threats before. I bet you've had some governmental issues before. You've had some elections come and go before. Yeah, yeah, we've been here before. Can we remember what he did the last time? Can we remember what he's done the last time? And start talking about that and not what is coming. Oh, it's a storm. Going to be a bad one. Are you helping or hurting your, your emotional situation and probably your family and friends? Is it, is, are we being helpful? I can tell you up to a year ago, I was not particularly helpful. I was, uh, we love all the gossip. It, it stimulates us. It makes us feel alive. But actually, it's death. All the gossip, all the talk, all the negativity makes you feel alive, but there is a way that seems right to a man in the end ends in death. I'm going to give you the last minutes of the class. Now, I want you to think how you're going to apply the lessons of Jesus in the boats and in the storms to your life this week. A minute of silence. So the question was, if, if, if you have something that's really bothering you, isn't it better to talk to someone about it? it? It is better to talk about it, but again, let's keep those questions in mind as we talk about it. Who is God? Who are you? And what promise of God are you standing on? So let's, let's change. Yes, we can talk to people. If you're bothered by something, talk, but be careful how you discuss it. I guess that's the thing. Yes, you can say, this bothers me. 
you have to talk about things. But we're always looking at the way God sees it. So hopefully that helps. Lord, we thank you for everyone who's come today. We ask a blessing on us. We are in a boat, but we are actually with you in a boat. We are not alone. We have never been alone. We will never be alone. We have faced things like this, but not exactly this way. And we give you permission to grow our faith this day, this week, this year, this season. We want to be like Jesus, to have the faith that he had as we are his disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Being fearful and anxious is usually not a conscious choice. When situations arise that disturb me, often before I'm even consciously aware, my body produces the stress response, the stress chemicals that speed up my heart rate and make me feel anxious. In these situations, it's often difficult to pray or to sense God's nearness because the fight-or-flight response is telling you that danger is what you should be looking for. It's in these situations that I use breathing exercises to try to calm my physiology and my nervous system so that I can think more clearly and so that I can connect with God. I don't want to make decisions based on fear. Instead, I'm making healthy, insightful decisions with God's help. The breathing exercises that I use are on an app that I've created, and you're welcome to try these exercises yourself by downloading the app under my name, available from iTunes or Google Play. There's more information on my website, drdlevy.com. Blessings to you, and thank you for listening.